Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 87 of Unblocking Crypto. Al, great to see you again. Good to see you, Jason. So this week, a little bit of a slower week, although there's still some interesting things going on. And one of the themes that we've talked about probably for all of this year has been the tokenization of real world, real world assets. And there's been a couple of things in the news here lately that have been really intriguing. The first one we can talk about is UBS, which is a bank in Switzerland, one of the largest banks out there. They just launched a tokenization trial on Ethereum. And this is part of Singapore's Project Guardian. So it's being done in Singapore and it is going to tokenize a real world asset. So it's exciting to see what's going to happen here. They feel like it's a little misleading because last year they had launched the world's first digital bond. And I think they put like 375 million Swiss Swiss francs on there on a three-year loan at 2.33%. So, but this is, Singapore's doing it. And if Singapore does this, we have some more news in a, in a second to talk about Coinbase in Singapore, but Singapore is one of the financial meccas around the world. And this is exciting to see a, a bank the size of UBS getting focused around tokenization and where that can take it in the future. Yeah, I mean, if they have a real world problem that they can solve with to- crypto tokens, then uh, let's see what happens. If, if the other big thing too, so Franklin Templeton, another huge asset manager, the CEO of that, her name is Jenny Johnson. She described securitization and what that's done in the past 50 years on all of this being huge. Her view is that tokenization is securitization on steroids. And the amount of stuff that's about to happen in the near term is about to get very interesting. And she actually brought up stories talking about NFTs. So I think Rihanna had sold 100 NFTs on one of her new hit singles not too long ago so that all of the royalties that's created from that gets shared with some of those NFT holders. And which is a cool story just because it's simple. It takes out all the middlemen and they take care of that. And then she also described her vision of some of these major athletes that say, hey, I'm going to sell 10% of my future earning potential to 100,000 people with these NFTs. And it makes them a much larger amount of money up front. And then everybody else benefits from this this income stream in the future too. So it's it's exciting to see. I mean, regulation is going to be a big part of all this at some point, but just that mentality of where it can go and and the view that that's where things are going and these large asset managers are focused on that, then that's really exciting to see. Yeah, so I haven't really heard much about that use of NFTs and tokens, but it seems like you are leveraging your future labor if you're a one of these athletes you're you're bringing forward all of your gains which i always you know laugh at some of these contracts like oh it's a 500 million dollar contract but it's back end loaded i'm like man who knows what it's actually worth you know it's a seven year deal and 200 million of it's in the seventh year and there's outs and things like that where the the player if they don't perform or 
if they get cut or whatever, it's not get like guaranteed money. But even even if it is, the two hundred million seven years from now is something like one hundred million now in buying power, and so it's for them to be able to sell a portion of their future earnings. It's basically like selling your own labor futures. Like, I don't think anybody's ever been able to do that before. So that'll be interesting to see what they what they do there. And I think it's a little weird, but, you know, there's people trading baseball cards for 10 grand. So I'm not the guy that gets it uh, and I don't understand everything that everybody does. But if you're a, if you're a pro athlete, you know, you, you got to cover your lifetime earning potential in a short number of years. And if that's a way they can help improve that, then more power to them. Yeah, I mean, being a golfer, pay a little bit of attention to what happens in the golf side of things. And that's already happening in, in some of these lower end golf tours, right, where people are investing in some of these golfers so that they have the money to be able to travel and play in these tournaments. And it justifies them taking a shot at at trying to become big. And if they do really well in these tournaments and the people that have invested in it get some money back and some better returns but it's it's kind of a fun thing to do it'll be nice where it's almost all automated with smart contracts and everything's taken care of at that point but well it's exciting to see and i haven't had these thoughts so bear with me here but with the this we're in the state of georgia state of georgia just passed so that nil money name image and likeness money can be made by high school athletes so they just, in the last four years or so, approved college athletes to be able to accept money for their name, image, and likeness. Georgia yesterday rolled that out for high school athletes. And me and my friends are joking like, okay, well, the private school in town is going to crush it because now they not only can offer scholarships for athletes to have a, an education at a prestigious private school, well, now they can straight up say, all right, you can have free room, board, tuition, and we'll throw in ten grand a month. All you got to do is, well, you don't have to play football because it's not pay for performance, but you have to play football because it's pay for performance. And so at least this way, because there's just business owners in town that went to the private school. And so guess what? They they like to see some of them are big football guys and they like to see their team be good. And so they're not afraid to throw money at kids because there's no, there's no market price for a high school kid to have pictures taken on social media with new cars to help you sell cars at your car dealership. So paying 500 bucks a pop and you do it a couple times a week and now you get to put money in kids pockets. Now that's great if you just happen to love the school, but now if you did name image likeness on future earnings, now you, the person spending the money could actually envision some sort of return. And it's not just a game where, it's, it's effectively a donation to your program in order to have better athletes come play for your, your alma mater or the school you like. So if you did it, if you could tokenize future earnings, then the kids in high school could, could have money that could lead to them performing better, getting private lessons, improving their, their ability so that they can go on to college and then go on and potentially in a small percentage chance go pro and really cash in. So yeah, maybe that is a problem that can be, you can, can utilize the tokenism for NI, uh, NTs to 
to, to make something work financially. I don't know. And like I said, bear with me on those thoughts because I hadn't really – I heard something yesterday for the first time and today for the first time. So I put those two things together, and that's as good as I can do on the spot. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of goes back to the whole concept we've been talking about is we're still very early with all this stuff, right? We've been talking about it for quite a while, but there's still a lot of use cases that are being created almost out of thin air at this point right now. And there's not a, here's an easy way to do it. And, and shoot, maybe that's even a, a great opportunity for most people to go do is, is create an easy way for high school students and college students to be able to create these NFTs to sell their future earnings and have a lump sum up front and then be able to easily pass that along to all of their NFT holders and they become kind of fans, right? I mean, talk about spending $10,000 on a, on a baseball card. What if you could buy an NFT for Acuna Jr. But while he was in high school or even in college before all that happened, right? So yeah. it's, it's definitely no, interesting. Especially for college, college fans, college players, because there's such a rabid fan base and there's so much money involved. You could actually you could get some money into the players' hands, but really cement your fan base because now you're really rooting for the individual kid. Uh, now the tricky bit is they can transfer around as much as they want. So you could you, you could have a kid go to your school and and buy his NFT, and then the next year he's playing for some, a team you don't like. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. But that'll be, this but is the beauty of like innovation right it's like what's going to happen what could happen you kind of just have to do a bunch of stuff and then see how it works you know and then it might kind of have a winding road onto wherever the destination is but you just got to do stuff and see what happens i mean the good news is he's probably going from either a small school to a big school or a big school to a big school and there's probably people that in that new school that want to be his fan too, right? So it, it's kind of taking this whole Patreon concept to a, a whole new level, which is which is exciting. Yeah, well, and it's a and it's nice on an NFT side. There's eventually you would be able to smart contract it, right? So it, his future earnings do you actually get that gain, and it's not just like dependent on his ability to distribute funds, right? Like it's not a loan that he's paying back. It's automated yep so jumping up when we talk about ethereum i mean one that's great news for this to all be done on ethereum because ethereum is is definitely that huge smart contract chain that everybody is focused on and and not that it's the best in the world but it's it's still getting a lot of positive news grayscale big yeah grayscale has recently announced that it plans to move its uh, trust to a spot ethereum etc and what's crazy about that is that Ethereum trust that they have, it's the largest Ethereum asset in the world. So it has over 5 billion of assets under management. And I mean, this is huge, right? I mean, it, assuming this happens, well, we've, we've been talking about spot ETS for a while now, but if Bitcoin falls, uh, Ethereum's already kind of approved by the SEC as not being a security-ish. Right. So that would be kind of a big deal. And then in the meantime, you have all these future ETFs that are kind of going live as well. And I think there's like nine of them out there now. And if, if I'm being honest, the volume's not very high, but at least they're they're available. Right. So once again, it doesn't really make sense for the futures to come before the spot ETFs, but futures are available and spots aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the 
ETH futures ETFs went live today or yesterday, here recently. And so I was reading an article and they indicated that that may be indicative that the SEC may allow some spot ETFs for, for Bitcoin or Ethereum. But it's an I'll believe it when I see it situation at this point. Yeah. So the other thing, speaking of regulation, Coinbase has had a lot of positive news here lately of getting all these licenses around the world. They just got another payment license from Singapore within the past week. So that's exciting for them. I mean, they've talked about going broad and, and deep and this is allowing them to focus on a lot more markets outside the U.S. And, and they almost keep kind of sticking in a knife and twisting with the U.S. saying, hey, we're a U.S. company, we went public in the U.S., but we're seeing a lot of our growth around the world. And, and they even announced that, that they're going to be able to provide perpetual future, futures trading to retail clients outside the U.S. And if you look at it, the big deal for them is... 75% of all the trading volume is done on the derivatives market. <laughs> so where they were making very good money on being exchanged, now they have the ability to, to make a lot more by offering this to everybody outside the U.S. And, and hopefully maybe one of these days the U.S. will have access to it too. Yeah, I think from a competitive standpoint, that's a great move by Coinbase. But from a game theory standpoint and trying to passively push U.S. regulators to be more open to crypto and Bitcoin, getting other countries on board and showing how they're kind of getting ahead and allowing all this is a good way to get regulators and Congress persons to start to get it, start to accept it. Because we haven't talked about game theory much, maybe since the El Salvador stuff. But if countries are seeing other countries have success in a certain area, an area that they're fighting against, they're going to have to start loosening up. Or at the very least, there's going to be a side of the population in the United States and you know they're going to be pushing their, their representatives to open up to it. So if I'm Coinbase, like they, tried, they tried to play ball. You know, they, they've been real transparent. They're a public company. They're working with regulators. Okay, fine. We'll just go to other countries. We'll grow it over there, and then once you guys see how far you're you're letting things slip, when I mean America's naturally positioned to be the most innovative country globally, you know, in the going on forever, I, we we just have a lock on it. And so, if for some, I mean, that's our brand. And so, if we see other countries basically succeeding where we used to succeed, I think that there will be a a culture shift. And then we'll get a little, we'll get more friendly. I would say we'll get more friendly faster. I think we are getting more friendly. It's just slow. And I think that's kind of been an overarching theme is once you get into Bitcoin and individual, you can start doing research on Bitcoin and crypto and you can find the things that you like and believe in and you think has a huge future and that you're really supporting and investing in. And you can do that really fast. Like you can just do what some people do and kind of what I did, which was like, oh, Jason's into Bitcoin. I'll just buy some Bitcoin. And then over the next several months or years, you learn a lot or you start learning a lot and then buy in. But either way, you can do it quick, you know, months, easy. And the government and organizations takes forever. So 
once you're, if you're correct and you're too early, it feels wrong, right? I mean, if you, if, if you, if you just got in before this ramp up and, and collapse, you feel like you're wrong. But if you sit back and wait two years from now, you may feel like you're right again and you may be, but I think that being early and right kind of sucks, but it won't 10 years from now. You'll be, everybody will be on board. You know, Bitcoin's not going to stop. Yeah. So one of the things that's probably helped to create some confusion of what's going on in the crypto world has been the FTX collapse. And so there's some big news today. SBF's yep. trial starts today. <laughs> Jury selection starts today. Yeah, so I don't know if you've paid much attention to it, but it's interesting that some of SBF's closest friends are now going to become his biggest enemies. And they are planning to testify in court, including his ex-girlfriend who ran Almeida Research and kept in her diary of everything that was going on that... SBF tried to release to make it look like she didn't know what she was talking about, but it's going to be an interesting next, what, five or six weeks that this is supposed to last, and, and this is still just the first one. I was going to say, it's going to last It's going to last a long time. Yeah. But yeah, he's seven criminal charges, various wire securities fraud, money laundering. If he's guilty on everything, and he could spend 100 years in jail. So that's... That's I don't expect that. I feel like when you donate enough money to enough politicians, you don't you don't get the Mac you don't get the the book thrown at you. So it it just seems to work out, but we'll see. Well, it would be interesting because the guy that created Silk Road and got busted on that has I think he's passing what eight years, ten years in jail. Yeah. You know? So and you you got to think it's got to be at least comparable. I mean, I think it's a lot worse than what he was doing, but I think it's worse than what he was doing too. Uh, <laughs> like he basically just built a, a website and people used it to sell uh, nefarious things for cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and he got smashed and there seems to be no looking back for him. No, but SBF built a website and ran a business and had a marketing campaigns and celebrity endorsements and, and political contributions. I mean, he, it was, he's big. He's like mad off on steroids. Yeah. And stole money. Right. I mean, it's not like he was just making money off this. It was literally taking people's funds and betting them somewhere else without ever telling them that he was doing that. So, it, right. Yeah. Somebody, somebody would buy Bitcoin and he would not buy it for them. So, I mean, yeah. that's not at all what Silk Road was doing. No, so no. that we'll see, man. I, I just I'm so skeptical about how people just don't get in trouble unless it's like once you're this big, you just don't get as much trouble. But we'll see. Yeah, well, it, it, I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it over the next few weeks as things start to unfold. If they do unfold, I don't know how much of it'll escape the the trial and the, and the jury, but it, it's going to be interesting what, what happens over the next couple of months. Whatever gets out is going to be all over Twitter or X just based on the people that are interested in it. And so if anything slips out, it's going to get, it's going to get spread around really quickly. Well, what's interesting too, who's the guy that wrote the big short? Do you remember his name? No, but I know where you're going. Yeah. So he is releasing a book, I think today that is based on this whole story of what happened to SBF. And what's crazy is apparently really no one has read the book. 
but the message is that FTX was a great company, and if they weren't caught, they were they'd still be making a lot of money and doing really good things. And it was like, wait a minute, he's been my idol over here, and now he missed the whole point of what was happening at FTX. And that's like saying, yeah, the charity is great. The charity, like they're doing a great job. If they didn't get busted for never distributing any of the charitable contributions to the the sick and poor kids they would just they would be a great business like yeah you know what if you tell people that you're giving them something and they give you money for it but you never give it to them your profit margins are through the roof <laughs> yeah great company great business model just collect money and screw everybody yep that's not how that works nice book so speaking of uh, interesting business models worldcoin is is back in the news i know we've talked in the past they were scanning people's eyeballs and countries were kind of shutting them down, worried about privacy concerns. Well, they have a couple hundred thousand people in Chile that have scanned their eyeballs. And a lot of these people are skeptical about crypto in general, yet they're willing to get their eyeballs scanned <laughs> and, and get, I think it's equivalent to about 42, right? So the interesting piece about all this is $42 may not seem like a lot, but for the average person in Chile, that's about 8% of their monthly income. So this is a pretty sizable amount for a lot of these people. And what I've been reading is most of them are like, well, all these other major tech companies, they, they steal our data too or, or keep our data. So we're not really worried about it. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> <laughs> At least they give us 42 bucks. Facebook doesn't give us anything. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's still happening. It seems like they're taking advantage of a lot of the countries that money is a, a big deal and testing it out there. I, you haven't heard of it coming to the U.S. and I don't think you will hear of it coming to the U.S. for a, a much longer time. You would think CC might take a serious look at that with everything else they're looking into. But yeah, it's interesting. I've got, such a, I've got such a low opinion of the population. I guarantee for $42, I bet you 25% of the population would get their irises scanned. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't care. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't care. So the other big news, too, that I saw, we talked a few weeks ago about Ripple acquiring or planning to acquire Fortress Trust. And the latest news that they just announced was they're pulling out of that acquisition. And from what I understand, the reason is they want to kind of continue to focus on just the B2B side of the world, which is where they're main focus has been fortress trust helped them kind of get that b2b to c and it sounds like they're still going to continue to keep their investment in fortress trust they're just going to refocus on where they're strong at um, so i don't know what that what that means for fortress trust i think they had some other people that were interested in in acquiring them too so i guess time will tell if we hear news here in the next couple of months of somebody else stepping back in and saying we're going to take them yeah, I mean, along the same lines, I got an email from BlockFi that said their Chapter 11 bankruptcy plan has been approved, which I thought was funny. They've got a part one was to they are now allowed to recover assets owed to them from FTX and Three Arrows Capital. So don't hold your breath on yeah. being able to get any money out of other companies that are in bankruptcy. And the other one was that they're going to distribute the digital assets back to clients. So that seems to be that seems to be something that will actually happen so it's what are we maybe 18 months from all of these dominoes falling and collapsing and ftx and luna and three euros capital and alameda and all that so 18 months and you know maybe maybe this thing kind of flushes out over the next year and that would be good 
to get kind of the bad news out of out of the news cycle so that you get just ETF stuff, corporations putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet stuff, and then the having news and mining companies readjusting for the for the the block rewards. So yeah, I'm I'm fine with clearing these bad things out and let's move on into twenty twenty. It'll be close to the election being over and nothing stuff can happen again for a couple of years before they start worrying about the next election. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is correct or not, but it seems like right after a president's elected, if his, if he's got both houses, then it's a flood of gigantic legislation. And then just nothing happens for three years. Like, so we'll see what happens. So I know you're a huge Bitcoin fan and I think Bitcoin's great, but one of the, interesting pieces of news that I saw recently, and I've been a huge fan of this whole ZK rollups. So zero knowledge rollups. There's actually a company called zero sync that has implemented, uh, the first start based ZK client for Bitcoin. So what's interesting about that is that you can now validate the network without actually downloading the entire blockchain doing all this. So I think they're saying with, Currently, they can get up to like 100 transactions per second with Bitcoin, which is way higher than, oh, what, almost 10x higher than where they are now. Uh, but much like a lot of the layer twos are doing, this would allow a little bit more security and privacy too, which is kind of really intriguing. And I, I think the sky's the limit on what this enables, but it's exciting to see that this technology is possibly coming to Bitcoin too. It's still kind of early, right? But at least it's proven that it can work. Yeah, I'm, I have heard of ZK rollups. I haven't done a lot of deep diving, maybe because I've just heard a lot of things that come and go really quickly. So I kind of wait until I hear it a lot before I'm like, yeah, maybe this will stick around and it's worth reading about. So maybe January, if this survives the rest of 2023, I'll start reading about it. Well, it's, I think ZK rollups are still probably three to five years out. So if you if you look at it from a rollup perspective, the opportunistic rollups, which is what Arbit Optimism are doing, then those are doing very well here lately. If you look at like what Layer Two Base is doing, I think that's based on the Optimism network. So it is happening, and transaction transactions can happen a lot faster, much lower energy and all that kind of good stuff. The next level is the ZK, which means you don't actually have to know anything and it still can somehow determine whether or not you're a, a bad actor or not, which is way over my head. Every time I try to read into it, it's so hard to understand, but it is really cool technology that I think will be what takes over in, in five years or so. So it's still a little ways to go, but it's exciting to see there's progress being made, especially on Bitcoin too. Yeah, well, that's kind of one of my arguments when people are anti-Bitcoin. It's like, okay, well, there's thousands of geniuses working on this sort of thing. So it's you and your opinion that's not educated about this versus thousands of geniuses working all day, every day to, to improve and, and build technology and innovation that's obviously valuable to a lot of people because Bitcoin's at $28,000 right now, you know, something like half a trillion in market cap. That's not a minor thing. It's not as big as it used to be, but it's it's the eighth largest asset class globally, so it's not 
you shouldn't think that you're smarter than Bitcoin and all the people that are working on it. That's I, I don't have the self-confidence to be that guy. Yeah, no, I mean, Bitcoin has some of the largest fintech entrepreneurs in the world that are leaving the rest of the payments space and saying that Bitcoin is a future, right? So for those guys to become very successful in their niche and then turn around and say, Bitcoin is the future, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, I think I just was scrolling through stuff and like the PayPal, ex-PayPal CEO maybe was saying that he's he's kind of doing the Jack Dorsey thing and he's going to spend the rest of his career working on Bitcoin. So, you know, I'd rather be on that team than the guy that's paycheck to paycheck that says it's a scam. Yep. I concur 100%. Anything else that we missed, Aaron? I'm sure we missed quite a few things, but that's that's all I've got. Awesome. Well, as always, it's great catching up, and we'll talk again next week. All right, man. Sounds good. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.